Guru Nation, welcome to episode 454 of Random Musings from the Clinical Trails Guru. In this episode, I do a podcast with Chris Sauber, and we go deep into the listener grab bag of questions. We actually answered one from a sponsor, a smaller pharmaceutical sponsor, about site qualification visits uh, when you're on a budget. So we, this will be helpful for sponsors, obviously smaller sponsors, maybe even bigger sponsors that kind of are out of touch with how things actually work, the reality of research sites and how they operate. And then obviously for sites as well, this could be some good stuff here for you, especially for the newer sites. So hopefully you enjoy this one. Hopefully you find something here that you can take away from this podcast and be just a little more knowledgeable than you were before you listened. Uh, links in the show notes to the CRA Academy, to the CRC Academy, to the Patreon channel, which is just $5 a month with a monthly mastermind group. Once we reach 50 patrons, we're doing two monthly mastermind groups. Um, so check that out, patreon.com slash Also in the show notes is the book, The Comprehensive Guide to Clinical Research, in case you haven't checked it out. I recommend the audiobook. Not only was it, uh, not only is it two separate books, really, it's like us reading the actual book and then us providing commentary in between almost every other paragraph. So it's almost like getting two books out of it. But it's been very well received by the industry, so we're very thankful for you guys. And then in this podcast, we talk about our site network. So if you want to join our site network, or you want us to help you find more studies and grow your company and kind of leave your biz dev to us, or at least outsource some of it to us for a really low cost, uh, $1,299 a month, text me 949-415-6256. With that being said, enjoy the show. Guru Nation, welcome back to another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. I'm a half a bottle in of red wine. Wow, that's quite a bit of wine. Yeah, you know, um, (laughs) had a sirloin steak. Have a bottle. We're in full quarantine mode here in California, so there's not much else you can do. So we're here recording podcasts, going deep. We're going deep inside the listener grab bag of questions. And we found a good one. Before you go on to that, why don't you share with your audience just, you know, a little personal information. How how was your steak cooked tonight? I've never heard of this. So I shouldn't have put the box away because I'm too lazy to get up and get it. But it's (laughs) called a sous vide kit. S-O-U-S. Link will be underneath the video in the show notes. No, I don't get any revenue from it. But it's a, you put it like, it's like a, a container. You fill it with water and then it has like this water heater that you plug in and you can set it at whatever temperature you want. And it's meant to cook steak. So you put it at 135 Fahrenheit and leave it for two hours to four hours. For some meats, you could put up to 24 hours, although I hear that's a little too much so the sweet spot is between two to six hours depending on the cut that you have um and uh yeah you get it you get a steak out of it sous vide no and and the previous we've got a lot of questions but we picked one really good one that we're going to focus on today for this podcast which chris we haven't done this in a while guess the episode and i don't even know it but guess it 
Uh, I have no idea. Three hundred and seventy-nine. So we went deep, guys, deep into the listener grab bag, and we got some good stuff for you guys. Okay, we got Chris. You know the question because you've seen it. You didn't really read it apparently until the second time around. I did read it. I just had forgotten. Okay. I read this whole thing. You know what? I give you a pass because today was a busy day, but a busy good day. Uh, yeah, we really have day. gotten two new clients and several new students uh, for both of our academies. So we're on we're yeah, on yeah, to a yeah. good start. Hey, you're leaving out, worked out a, a new site venture too. Worked out yeah. the specifics. It's uh, We have the beginnings of... Um, yeah, 2020 was really a year to like, I mean, it's been a great year, but it's been a year to optimize for us. I guess that's their proper Well, word. great year from a business perspective for us. I don't know about a great year in general. Yeah, in, in general, it's like the worst year ever, but business, yeah. research business-wise, I actually put a quote on Instagram today. Um. And I ran an ad behind it because we got to do some branding. 2020 made clinical research the industry to be in. But it has been a really good year for research. Uh, other than that, it's been a horrible year for the world and for everything society. else. Yeah. <laughs> everything, everything else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's go. Let's get into the uh, grab bag of questions and uh, the pre selected the pre-grabbed question. This guy's been watching since or listening since like 2013 or something like that. So a long time. He's had enough time mm-hmm. to build his career all the way up to like a director level for a sponsor. So um, it's a biotech company, somebody from a biotech company. They have constrained budgets uh, as we all do these days. Um Three questions. We're in the process of site selection. So this is a sponsor. Okay. Keep it in mind. If you're a sponsor, pay attention. If you're a site, maybe pay attention. I don't know. What are the main points? Question number one, what are the main points from a site perspective that I should be mindful of? So that's like a really... Uh, yeah, pain sorry. Points. What, what are, are the main pain, pain points? points? Too much red wine. What are the main pain points from a site perspective that I should be mindful of? I love when sponsors ask this, like what pains the site? I guess it depends on the site. Uh, some sites are pained because they don't have cash flow. Other mm-hmm. sites are pained because they have too many studies. Uh, other sites are pained because they don't have very many patients and others are like a combo of the three uh, poor quality of data. Okay. There is, can be all kinds of issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lack of yeah. staff um, under yeah. understaffed. So pain points from sites. When it comes to site selection, there's not too many pain points from sites. What do you think? I don't think there's too many pain points. Sites want studies. If if they think they okay, can so, get patients, they want the study. So are we looking at this from the sponsor's perspective or the site's perspective? Well, we're looking at it from the spot. We're answering his question from the sponsor perspective, but he's asking us for the site's perspective. Sure. So we can so, do both. And so the first problem as a sponsor, 
viewing a site is going to be, does this site truly qualify? Are they legitimate? Because sites are going to try and get any study they can, right? If they're even interested in, a, in the study- Even in a year like 2020, where they're getting offers like left and right? So it depends. It depends on the site. But oftentimes sites, when they want the study, if they're going to go through the steps, right? The feasibility questionnaire process and all of that, then obviously they probably want the study. So they're going to say whatever they feel is necessary to get the study. And unfortunately, from the sponsor side, it's hard to verify much of this or any of this, what, what is stated from the, the site side. And really mm -hmm. the only way to, the feasibility questionnaire doesn't really give you much, much information to verify anything. Really, it, in my opinion, it comes down to the CRA's perspective, right? And in this, for example, that's going to lead us to the next questions because they don't have that. They don't have budget for this. But, but right. keep going, so, keep going. So if you're if you're strictly kind of pursuing a site just through a questionnaire, it's going to make it really difficult to see if they legitimately qualify without having a one-on-one -on -one conversation. That's I the just don't see how that's that's the yeah. GIS. I just don't yeah. I don't see how that's going to happen. My I mean, suggestion. Maybe, well, here's my suggestion to the sponsor, and take it from me, a site owner, since 2005. Well, 2006, really, but 05, I started the transition. Mm -hmm. You need to verify as much as you can from the perspective of can they enroll patients? Because let's say, okay, as long as they can enroll patients, you're good. Because even if they have a coordinator who is inexperienced. And the PI for that matter. And the PI. So let's say they have like worst case scenario, an inexperienced PI and a coordinator that both embellish how much experience mm -hmm. they actually have. Okay. Yep. Even yep. if in that worst case scenario, you, you get into that situation, you can still remedy that problem with good monitoring. So uh, yeah, you, you just send a good CRA. Additional oversight. Additional right. oversight from the sponsor side. Right. You send a good CRA in there and you let them know, hey, this site's going to need like a lot of handholding, but they do have good mm -hmm. patients. They have patients in the study. We're trying to minimize deviations, all that stuff. So the, like even worst case scenario, my point is even worst case scenario of their experience, it's a salvageable situation. Um, so the... So from what you're saying, the focus should be on can they truly get patients? And that's right. Right. I mean, that's you still right. want to you still want to verify experience if you can, but but your really mo biggest concern is is patient, patient. enrollment. Can the patient. site enroll? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I and would agree. That stuff, that stuff that sponsors do with hey, send us a de-identified list of patients on pointless. Next, uh, completely pointless. Yeah. Like they're just, you might as well just ask them to send you random letters and numbers on an Excel sheet because that's what they're going to yep. give them. Right. Yeah. Even if, like, if they don't actually have it, if they don't actually have it. Yes. The ones who would actually have it will send you a de-identified list. Even them, they're probably going to just like send you some numbers um, yeah. that is not going to be reflective of what they actually have. Unless it's like an academic institution that have like their own dedicated systems and they can just print something that's de-identified and it's easier for them to do that than to make yep. something up. So yep. really what you need to do is get on a Zoom call. You, 
Okay, the person asking this question. Get on a Zoom call just like Chris and I are doing right now and ask the site face-to-face, -face, you know, hey, what do you have? Like, don't, you shouldn't pre-send them any questions to give them time to prepare. Just ask them like we are now and get a sense of their reaction, their body language, um, their facial expressions, and then how quickly they answer because you can get a better sense of how much they're embellishing if you're doing this in person or, or as close to in person as you can, which is a zoom. Yep. I agree. Chris agree. Chris agrees. We can end the podcast right now. Well, there's one more question though. There's two more. Yeah, we're kind of covering. Oh, we kind right of answered to a, yeah, but let me, let me read a question to first for those that, uh, because maybe we missed something too. Okay. Sure. So sure. in absence of a site qualification visit, what should I include on the feasibility questionnaire to thoroughly vet each site to ensure we are selecting only those that will perform adequately? And I would say, I don't think you can, I don't think there's a, anything you can do. I don't either. Other than, other than the standard questions, right? Standard questions, how many patients and all the standard stuff. How many patients can you enroll? How many are in your database? All of that. And unfortunately, at these sponsor companies, whether they're big or small, like in this case, a small sponsor, they rarely, if ever at all, have anyone on their team that has been at a site level before. Now, I will say one thing, and this is kind of self-promotion, right? Well, go ahead. I mean, we got all, we got nothing but time. Sure, sure. One thing you can do is maybe hire, maybe hire something like a site network or an SMO, right? In which- Oh, go figure, like DSCS. Exactly. In which they have these relations with these sites and they can- hopefully more legitimately answer your questions mm, opposed, like to, opposed to sites that you're unfamiliar with. I like that. that. You know why? It's because now you're putting the site network like DSCS, which is Dan's for Chris Sauber. We're ending yep. that contest on the audiobook of guess what DSCS stands for. <laughs> We're giving you the answer now. Dan's for yeah. Chris Sauber. Um, we now put skin in the game. So, if a sponsor comes to us and says, Hey, we need your best sites for this study. We look bad if we don't produce. So, and we have influence on the sites in our network. Well, we can call them up. We can text them and say, Hey, sponsor XYZ is upset that you're not enrolling. Can you screen someone next week? Not only that, but we can also, I think more legitimately vet the site opposed to somebody that has no relationship with these sites mm -hmm. but right we can we can and we have something to lose if pressure and we have something to lose if they don't perform because that sponsor right. is not going to want to work with us again correct right. and, uh, and again it's not just promoting us it's anybody like us right there's of course we would out like there. you to come to us though come yeah. to us we're better but there's a few out there so um yep. okay good good i like that answer and um question three do you have any other insight you can provide in regards to the overall study process, like enrollment, recruitment, retention, monitoring, study maintenance, as it pertains to oncology? 
any insight you could provide would be extremely helpful. Um, so what do you think about this? Like oncology, any extra color you want to add? I don't really have an answer to this. You? Yeah, I do. So for oncology, most on not most all oncology clinics that I've ever monitored or ever even talked to use EMR, electronic medical records. Now you, you may not feel like you can ask for access to their EMR. I don't think you're allowed, but they should be able to provide a print, like some kind of, uh, just like a macro overview of their database, right? So if it's a breast cancer study and they're like most of them, if all of them I've seen use EMR. So if it's a breast cancer study, you can actually just see, like you don't even need to get into the inclusion exclusion criteria, just see what stage, like that's the most macro level things in, on, in a breast cancer is what stage they're at, right? Stage one, neoadjuvant, stage one, stage one A, to and then it goes on so you can actually ask for like a, a a snapshot and they can de-identify it and all that stuff and i know i know we just said that that's a waste of time to ask for a de-identified list but when it comes to oncology most oncology clinics have emrs like i said every single one that i've worked with has emrs so i think in that case you can ask for a snapshot of their EMR breakdown. And I think you'll have a good assessment there because oncology is very time sensitive. So somebody may qualify right now. It doesn't mean they're going to qualify in six months. I mean, they might not even be alive in six months, unfortunately, or their cancer may have progressed to where they're no longer qualified. It's not like schizophrenia where you know, you can use the same patients from years ago. Like with oncology, it's very much in the now. So you can ask for a, you can ask for a snapshot. Like currently in your practice, who do you treat? And most cancer clinics that do research also treat the patients there at the clinic. Unlike other indications where you may just have standalone research clinics and not treating. That's patients. actually. I actually thought up that question about two minutes ago while you were talking. If you've ever heard of strictly a research oncology site, because I can't envision that would work very well. It, it wouldn't work very well. I'm sure they exist somewhere, but the majority, yeah. and I would say 80%, if not higher, do, you know, community cancer clinic or academic cancer uh, clinic and research. So in oncology... And the, there's another thing with oncology. With oncology, the patients are very motivated to do research. They're often looking for, uh, you know, alternatives. Uh, innovative treatments. Innovations to either extend their life, improve their quality of life, or, or better, right? Mm -hmm. Unlike every other indication where people are not really looking for that kind of stuff. Like they already have it. Right. It's not life or death for the most part. With cancer, it is life or death for the most part. Oftentimes. Yeah. 
so you have motivated patients, so it's less difficult to get patients. Um, but it's still difficult if you're starting from a limited patient population. So I think asking for either access to an EMR, maybe you can sign whatever forms they give you, and then you can access their EMR as like read only. And then you could look for yourself, or maybe you can go in person or do it over a zoom. And just like I'm asking Chris right now, let's say I'm the sponsor and Chris is the coordinator for that site. Chris, can you go in your EMR right now and just let me know how many stage one breast cancer patients you have? Just, just mm-hmm. approximate. And if Chris starts mm-hmm. stumbling over his answers, I mean, he should, if he's at the clinic, he's at his house now, but if he's at the clinic, he should have access to the computer and he should be able to do it within a minute. Right. And if it's taking longer than that, or if he just can't do it, that leads me to believe that, uh, there's not too many patients there. There could be a legitimate excuse. Maybe I don't have access to the EMR, right? I mean, yes, you would expect the coordinator to have access, but maybe I don't right. for some reason. Right. Which then does I would happen. Ask, and I would ask for the PI. You know, can I talk to the PI when he has time or she right. has time? Right. I would, I would ask them. And you know what? Or, the PIs are usually less likely to embellish. Than the than the coordinators so, or the site directors. That's a good point. That's very true. It's not, it's not a full guarantee that they won't, but I think that's very true. I think typically that's the case. I think so too, and I think a lot of sponsors don't know that. Matter of fact, a lot of sponsors would assume the inverse that the PI would embellish and the coordinator wouldn't. And in reality, right. it's not the case. It's the PI right. usually is closer to the reality than the coordinator or the site director or the site owner. Really? If you're going to do a Zoom meeting? I mean, really, if you want to test... And that's the what site, they're doing nowadays. They're doing Zoom. Right. And if you want to test the site, what I would recommend, actually, to the answer the question three here, is speak with... Because usually the coordinator has to give more time to, to site qualification visits, right? So do the typical. Say, I'll need 20 minutes with the PI and I'll need the rest of the time with the coordinator. But ask the coordinator during your time when in which you expect to be one-on-one, right? No PI present. <laughs> ask them questions that you're going to later ask the PI and see if you get the same answers. Ah, because they're not going to be doing it at the same time, most likely. Correct. I, I'm going to be doing a Zoom with you first, Chris. You're the coordinator. And then I'm going to be doing a Zoom later separately with the PI. Correct. And then see if you get the same answers. And expect more than likely the PI is going to give you more truthful Realistic. answers. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Really good uh, point. Did we miss anything from his questions one, two, or three? Main pain points so. from a site. Uh, that's tough because it's a lot of pain points. Uh, in the context of a site qualification visit, they want the study. For the most part, they want the study. They will let you know at the SQV if they don't want the study. They will let it be known. Um, well, they probably cancel the SQV if they don't want the study. Why even do the, the <laughs> right? Visit, the yeah, sometimes group. things slip through the cracks and they get sketchy. Sure, sure. Um, in the absence of a SQV, what should I include on the feasibility questionnaire? Don't waste your time. Do it in person or not in person, but virtual, like through Zoom in real time, I should say. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then do you have any other insight you can provide? So I think we answered all the questions. Uh, at the end of the day, is this going to help you much more 
than you currently have, uh, I guess, been doing? Uh, probably a little bit. Is it going to make a difference in not selecting a site or selecting a site that you otherwise wouldn't have selected? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I think the takeaway message is site networks may be your friend here. Yep. I would agree. All right. Anything else? I think we covered it all. All right. Well, thank you very much, Chris. Thank you, everybody, for watching and listening. And um, I know we played the guessing game with Chris on what episode this is. Do you want to take another guess? Well, it's not in the 300, so 435. Uh, what if you are exactly right? Well, the last time you asked me was before COVID. So <laughs> we were like in the, in the 200s, I think. And I've been so. on lockdown a lot this year. So uh, yeah. let's see. We are, and if you're listening to this, you already know what we're on. Because I say at the beginning, what did you say? 435. Close. This will be 454. Well, that's not too far off. Pretty good. The first, the first guess you had, you were like 150 off. You said yeah. like 312. Yeah, three something. I don't remember what I said. Yeah, that was yeah. a long time ago, Chris. I think 312 was when I beat you the first time in fantasy football. When you got me the joke. Ha, 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 you're so funny. Chris uh, <laughs> just continues to take losses from me. Uh, luckily, we didn't do, luckily for him. We didn't do fantasy football this year, but well, we uh, have no idea if that was lucky for me or lucky for you. You know what? On a side note, you could turn it off if you're not interested, guys. Chris, on a side note, I was watching football yesterday. Probably the most I've watched all year. It's a week 12. Uh, you're, you're not missing much so far, uh, but I was thinking about fantasy and I was like, you know what? If I was going to pick a year to go three and oh, this would be the perfect excuse to why I couldn't do it because they're canceling games and playing them on Tuesdays. The best players, if they get COVID or even if they've been exposed to COVID sit that game. So there's a lot of like weird injuries. So luck, year. there's a lot of luck involved. I don't know if it's luck, but like you would be pissed if you had Lamar Jackson and he can't play against like a dream matchup that right. you had. That's what I'm saying. There's a lot like, of luck. I guess that's luck. Yeah. Well, you you know every it's year random you, randomness. Yeah. Every year you don't want your top three guys to you know uh, or anybody on your team, but especially the top three guys to get injured. Like season Saquon's ending. already gone from week two. I think he was like season ending. Right, but that's that's brutal to your fantasy team. Right. Mm -hmm. So now you get you get to add the component of do they get sick? Right. Do they get COVID? Now they got to be out for three or four weeks for that. Yeah. So just. <laughs> An added element. And my sleeper quarterback for a, the third year would have been Sam Darnold, and he has another bad year. So it looks like the train has left that station uh, this yeah, year. Yeah, and he, he would have been your pick this year. You've been like your pick in the 14th round, and you've been screwed. So I, w I was debating between him or Kyler Murray, like to go up and pick Kyler Murray. And but he would, he would have gone much higher. But he would yeah. have gone much higher. Kyler Murray would have gone higher. The guy you could have stolen and not even drafted it was the chargers quarterback yeah. uh the rookie um but anyways you know ne maybe next year who knows we'll do fantasy again there or maybe well, not I, I do miss fantasy it was one of the things i looked forward to all year yeah well 
it's a weird year to say the least. So uh, maybe yeah. it's best that we all sat it out this year. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for listening, watching. Hopefully it helped your question. And if you're someone like the listener, uh, reach out 949-415-6256 or Chris at the clinical trials guru.com. And that's Chris at the clinical trials guru.com. Send all complaints, concerns, and questions to him. And thank <laughs> we'll you very much. Just what I want. All later. So, hey, everybody, thank you very much for listening to another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. Again, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Make sure you leave a review if you could be so kind, please. Uh, And also go to theclinicaltrialsguru.com if you're interested in learning more about who I am, who some of my guests are. Uh, You can have access to some of my YouTube videos. Uh, I do a lot of videos about clinical research. So go to theclinicaltrialsguru.com and you can also call or text me anytime, 949-415-6256. Also follow me on any social media platform. It's Dan Svera. And you can also email me if you'd like, dan at theclinicaltrialsguru.com. Thank you very much.